Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I am so excited to tell you that this podcast is sponsored by Halo Sleep. Raise your hand if you love Halo. I have been talking about their products for years, and it is an honor to tell you guys about the new and updated Halo Bassinest. It has all the same features that you love, like the 360-degree swivel and rotation that brings your newborn close for safe sleep, but in their own space. You guys know that I am anti-bed sharing, and so the Halo Bassinest is a game changer when it comes to wanting your newborn to be close, but having safe sleep. That still includes the patented lowering bedside wall that lets you tend to baby from your bed, which is ideal for moms who are recovering from a C-section. But guys, here are the up dates on the new Halo Bassinest that I'm really excited to tell you about. First of all, slow clap because the fabrics in select models are machine washable. My new favorite feature, you guys, is that the bed is now removable. That's right. In select models, the bed is removable so you can move the bassinet around the house and have a safe space for baby to nap. It is available at Bye Bye Baby, Target, Amazon, and of course, halosleep.com. And for Little Z's listeners, we have a special offer. Visit halosleep.com and use offer code littlez10, that's the number 10, littlez10, to save 10% on any purchase of 200 dollars or greater. Guys, I have to tell you that a few weeks ago, I already purchased the Bassinest for my sister-in-law. This is an awesome baby shower gift to maybe go in with a few friends or all on your own. It is an awesome gift for new babies. So go ahead and use that coupon code littlez10 on halosleep.com to save 10% on your purchase of $200 or greater. Thanks so much, Halo, for sponsoring this podcast. Let's head into the episode. Hey there, I'm Becca Campbell, your pediatric sleep consultant, and this is the Little Z Sleep Podcast, where I'm committed to resolving your child's exhausting sleep habits. This is episode 97, and I am chatting with Jennifer Bernard of Baby Begin. If you are not following Jennifer on Instagram, and you don't even maybe have an Instagram, first of all, go sign up if she is so worthwhile to follow. If you have a baby who is between zero and 12 months, or maybe you are expecting a little one, she is going to be your go-to resource. So open up Instagram, type in baby begin. It's the little baby logo, this blue and green little baby cartoon feature. Click it, follow it. Jennifer is an incredible source of knowledge. She is on a mission to educate families on plagiocephaly. I love, we talk about this in the episode, but she is absolutely anti-products, which is why I love that, again, this podcast being sponsored by Halo, the Halo Bassinet is a fantastic alternative to so many places that we just think we need to sit our baby down so that we can do X, Y, and Z. So in this episode, I talk with Jennifer, who is an occupational therapist outside of Dallas. We get into all of the things that you probably want to know about. We get into, tell me about walkers, tell me about bumbos, tell me about baby development, tell me about rolling. The reason I had her on the podcast, though, was to get in with the Merlin magic suit, which, hint, hint, wink, wink, spoiler alert, it's not magic. I don't like it, but we get a little bit deeper into it. So you're going to love this episode with Jennifer of Baby Begin. Definitely excited for you guys to listen in. This is a great one to share. Again, if you know somebody who's expecting, share this podcast in the Apple podcast. You can just click on that little box with the arrow, send it on to them. It's a great one to share. All right, let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Jennifer. Well, welcome back, Jennifer. I'm so glad that you're on the podcast with us. When I shared the other day on Instagram that you were coming back, we were like flooded with lots of questions. Yay! 
<laughs> and I, I, I definitely um, I love your mission. I headed over to your website when I was um, getting your um, link to put on the show notes here. And I love, I open up your website and it says, um, avoiding, no, the helmet alternative. I love yeah. that. Boom, yes. right away. The helmet alternative, which I think and is I'm messing around. Yeah, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get in, I accidentally called you a physical therapist or a pediatric physical therapist. What's the difference between physical therapy and occupational therapist? What's the difference there? Well, in pediatrics, especially in babies, they overlap quite a bit. So um, it really depends on your specialty. So physical therapists typically are going to work with more motor skills, gross motor skills. Occupational therapists are more function-based. So they're going to work on play skills, but with babies and fine motor skills, but with babies, that's motor as well. So specifically with torticollis, you can really see a physical or an occupational therapist. You just want to pick one that has a lot of experience. So some OTs have a lot of experience with torticollis, some do not, and vice versa. So if you're looking um, for a specific pediatric therapist, it's probably best just to call the clinic that you're in or that you want to go to and just ask them, hey, who has the most experience with torticollis? And you're going to, you'll be fine either way with a PT or an OT. Okay, that makes sense. And I, I'm glad that you said that because... I've shared this a lot on the podcast in previous episodes that I was the first time mom with Ellie where I did not know I could ask for certain things. And yes. I it was just the way I was raised, like, okay, you're just going to take care of me and I'm not going to have to ask any questions. But like, no, you can go in there and be like, who has the most experience with this? Yes, yes. And you have to. And the earlier you start advocating for your kid, the better and the more, the easier it gets over time. But um, I think we just trust that in the medical field, they're going to take good care of us and they're going to give us the best of the best. But that's not always the case. So just keep asking who has the most experience, who does the best with babies, who treats the most babies, because you don't want someone that just treats a baby a week. You want someone that's babies all day Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're looking for therapy for your baby. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because then you'll probably, if you don't advocate that who knows what, what could happen. I, I teach that even for a daycare kids, like advocate, advocate for your, for your kid in daycare. When you know they're not doing the right nap schedule, go talk to the teachers, go ask, yes. questions. you know, don't just yes. back and assume that, you know, everything's fine. I have a lot of parents. Um, it's interesting that you say that I have a lot of parents that are afraid to ask for certain things at the daycare for fear um, that their teacher won't like their baby and that <laughs> they'll treat them differently. And so they're just so scared to, to be kind of that parent that needs, you know, that has things that they want specifically done with their baby. And I always tell them, you're paying that place. Like they want the best for your baby, but you need to tell them what that baby needs. So don't be scared to ask for really what you want and what is best for your baby. That's exactly right. Yeah. You're paying for it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and, and definitely getting into advocating for your baby. I, one of the main reasons I asked you on the podcast was to talk about swaddling. We're going to go yeah. through the magic Merlin suit, which is not magic at all. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, but, um, you went on a, an amazing, um, I don't even want to call it a rant cause it wasn't a rant. It was like a great informational, um, like it should have been its own blog video, something. <laughs> and I, I, I know you saved it somewhere, but you're, talk about swaddles the other day on Instagram. Right. And if you're not following, y'all got to pause this podcast, go follow baby begin because you're always sharing lots of great information, but Good. I would love to hear 
um, your take on swaddling because I have had parents not advocate for it because their grandparents or so-and-so said, oh, that looks like torture. You know, how could your baby ever be comfortable like that? Don't, you know, all those things. When you are talking about swaddling, why is it important? And how long should we be doing this for? What are some, some ways that we can help baby with swaddles? Okay, back in the day with grandparents or, um, you know, before 1996, our babies were sleeping on their stomachs. So they were getting deep pressure on the front of their body that helped them sleep. It helped soothe them because they weren't uh, what we call moro-reflexing. They weren't startling themselves awake. Once we started sleeping our babies on their backs, all of a sudden things change. Babies aren't sleeping as well. They're, they're, they're moving around a lot. They're waking themselves up. And so we needed something to kind of negate that. And so that's when swaddling became pretty popular. It, like the Velcro swaddles, the Halo sleep sack, the swaddle me. And there's a little bit of controversy right now about swaddling and if it's good for your baby, or I've even had people say it's damaging to babies, which really breaks my heart. Swaddling is important, and, and you can speak on the importance of restorative sleep, but swaddling is important so that baby can actually get sleep. And babies need sleep, but also parents need sleep, especially new moms. So what concerns me is if a baby does well in a swaddle and sleeps well in a swaddle, then that baby probably needs a swaddle. If a baby does not like it, they get their arms out, they sleep better without a swaddle, then absolutely you can, you don't have to use a swaddle. But I do have a lot of adults say, oh, it looks like torture. I would get so claustrophobic. I can't really put my baby in that. When in actuality, if you think of the environment that the baby just came from, they were very restricted. They had a lot of deep pressure on their entire body. And so once a baby is born and we put them into this huge, big world, and then we don't help them calm and we don't give them that external pressure, then it's very scary. It's like sensory overload. So a swaddle does very well with bringing babies back to kind of a homeostasis state and calming them and letting them sleep because we really do need good sleep. So our brain can grow and, and take in all the information that we, we got during the day and just relax. And so I love swaddling. I think swaddling is very important for newborns. So then to go back to your question about, well, when do we stop swaddling? So swaddling really is to be used up until about three to four months. And then after that, we need to start transitioning the baby out of a swaddle. And the reason we do that is because we want to promote normal development. So if we're keeping our babies in a swaddle too long, they're not going to start moving. They're not going to start kind of getting on their tummy and rolling onto their tummy to sleep. So I think the confusion is happening when people are saying that swaddles are bad. I think it's because some people are choosing to swaddle their babies a little bit too long. And then we have negative effects from that. So three to four months is kind of when we like to start transitioning a baby out of a swaddle. And then when they start rolling, it's time to roll and we need to get them out of those completely. Definitely. And what age do you start to see signs or what age should we maybe be concerned? So like the bookends, like when's the earliest maybe they start yeah. to roll? And when's the time you should be like, uh-oh, maybe I should go do something because my kid's not rolling. 
Great question. So the first signs of rolling from back to tummy, so I'm talking about back to tummy, the first signs of rolling are the baby's on their back and they're playing with their feet. So before that happens, your baby has to be reaching. Your baby has to have the strength to pull their little legs up and play with their feet. But once they start doing, so that's at around four months. Once they start doing that, then you're expecting, okay, little Johnny's probably going to roll onto his sides because his feet are up in the air. So now he's going to roll onto his sides. So now I need to start thinking about he needs to get out of his swaddle or start transitioning out. So for, you know, four to five months is an average rolling time. If I don't have a baby rolling by six, six and a half months, I'm not concerned, but a little bit of a red flag, like, okay, maybe we should really work on rolling during the day to get that skill. So then, so then, you know, you're promoting normal gross motor development. Definitely. That makes sense. Yeah. I want to go back to, you mentioned like, you know, that's when the Velcro swaddles and things like there's, there's so many different yes. types of swaddles now. Yes. And um, even, you know, my oldest uh, five years ago, um, the Velcro ones were like huge. The love to dream had not come out yet. Right. And I was all about that summer infant swaddle me Velcro action. Yes. That's amazing. I love that. Yes. I did get questions on Instagram about the love to dream because then the arms are up, not down. Right. And what are your thoughts on that? Somebody said, it looks like the arms will be squished. And I was like, well, they're squished either way. Um, but I would love to hear your thoughts on these different types of swaddles. So the love to dream, my only hesitation with that is I'm not a big fan of for 12 hours a day, having the arms out and we call it shoulder protraction, kind of out to the side. So I, if you think of daily function, our arms are usually close to our bodies. Babies bring their hands to midline first. Um, so to have a baby in a kind of a sprawled out position for 12, 15, 16 hours a day, um, to me is not ideal. So I prefer the Velcro swaddle with the arms down. But I, I can't say I wouldn't use that love the dream. I just say that probably would not be my first choice. Right. And maybe if somebody's listening, they're like, oh no, <laughs> I've been using that all the time. Then maybe the next nap, let's put, let's get another swaddle. Maybe put the arm right. back. They right, right. Maybe every often would be okay. The thing, the thing that I really want to stress and that I think is very important for people who are being listened to and are speaking their truth is there's very few things that are actually going to damage a baby if you think about it. So if you're using a love to dream or whatever it's called and, and the baby sleeps well, that's fine. That's fine. Just use that. But then during the day, I would surely do a lot of tummy time and bring those arms to midline and make sure that that baby is able to bring the arms to midline and play in that position. So like the rock and play sleepers, those have been taken off the market because too many babies have, have passed using that device. So that is something that, of course, we would not want to use, but a certain kind of swaddle is probably not a bad thing. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm, um, I never use the love to dream. So I, I've heard just people really enjoy that, but it is also probably one of the easier ones because you just zip it right up, which is yeah, yeah. so convenience, I think is one big factor of that, but that's why I like the Velcro one. So there's, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a good point to look at even while you are, your baby does nap a lot in the swaddle. And, and I talk about this in the newborn course, not every nap is going to happen in their swaddle, in their bassinet, in their crib. You're going to, you are going to hold them. That's the joy of a newborn. You are going to go for a walk, things like that. So, um, you know, I would love to, to talk about 
the transitions out of the swaddle because the love to dream is so popular when they do get big enough, they can have that transition. I think it's love to dream 50, 50. They can unzip the arms, things like that. Let's talk about the transitions. People love going to the Merlin suit. Right. They think, oh, that's a great natural transition from swaddle to sleep sack. Uh, I am going to zip my lips and hold off on my opinion. And I want to know what you think about the magic Merlin. So it is being touted as the swaddle that you use as a transition. So that may be true. However, I, the, okay, the way I transition a baby out of a swaddle is I love the halo or the swaddle me kind of, I'm a Velcro girl like you. I really like those. Um, I take one arm out. Once the baby is sleeping normally again, like they did before, I take a second arm out and then I'm pretty, I'm banking on that baby's going to roll and now he's going to sleep on his tummy and we're good to go. So that's how I transition out of a swaddle. When you put a baby in something like a Merlin sleep suit at, let's say, four or five months, which is when you want to really transition your baby out of a swaddle, that really immobilizes a baby. And so what I am finding with my practice is when a baby's in a Merlin sleep suit, they are now on their back a couple more months. And now we have, okay, when is Johnny going to learn to roll if he has this big suit on for sleeping? So I don't mind the magic Merlin if it's done early, but if we're, if we're using it as a transition and now the baby's five months and now we're putting them in, the, in that, then we're going to have a couple more months of back sleeping. And in the plagiocephaly world, in the flathead world, that's the last thing I want. I want my babies off of the back of their head if it's flat. So that's one reason. But the second reason it is I think it delays rolling. Definitely have seen the same thing happen. The only time I've ever been okay with the Merlin actually is in a medical situation where I had, um, I had a early, early on, I had a a little baby um, who had heart surgery and um, you know, that was like the best thing for her. So I was like, well, Hey, you know what? That's fine. That is a situation. You just got home from the hospital. That's different. But to me, and, and you know, we align on this, like I'm not all about the products. You don't go buy a $40 sleep suit for a transition. That's just not necessary. Um, So that's just my own thing. But it also, it is that Michelin man suit that they just Mm -hmm. can't move in. So then you're delaying. And a lot of parents, um, I actually just yesterday, um, I'm working with a uh, five-month-old, newly turned five-month-old. We were talking about he started doing really, really great for sleep. And all of a sudden he's taking a little dip in his naps during the day because he's learning how to roll. So he's getting yeah. to the crib and he's like experimenting, which is so normal. And so normal. So normal. And they were concerned because it's of course affecting his naps and we're sleep training and all this stuff. But they also were like, you know, is it safe for the baby to roll over? Um, can they sleep on their tummies? So this is kind of like a little bonus thing I would love to hear about. Um, I often get this question where um, the baby has learned how to roll from belly or from, from back to belly and then working on belly to back. Is that a safe position for them to sleep in? What should parents do when they wake up in the middle of the night, they look at the monitor like, oh my gosh, my, my kid's on their belly. I've never seen that before. What would you yeah. suggest? Well, first of all, it's scary. And we're going to acknowledge that it's very scary. It ang- shoots your anxiety through the roof. But we have to remember that this is a very normal part of development. And um, the SIDS risk decreases significantly when a baby can do it independently. When they can roll from back to tummy independently, they can, your SIDS risk is pretty, pretty low. So what I have learned from other sleep consultants is you just try to get them back to sleep on their tummy, because if you roll them back on their back, 
they're going to roll right back onto their tummy. So um, the best thing to do is try to just get them comfortable with sleeping on their tummy. So however that looks. But I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head is that people freak out when there's a change in sleep. And so they want to go back to that original, they were sleeping all through the night at three months. I want that back at five months, where as you're saying, it's a transition, it's a normal transition. So we need to work through that transition rather than put a Band-Aid on it with a magic Merlin. Okay, yeah, now he's sleeping on his back. Yeah, he can't move anywhere. But now he's six months, seven months, and he can't roll. Exactly. So, you know, so I think what happens is, or the best advice I could give is if you if you hit that little blip, like you said, that little dip, reach out to someone like Little Z's and figure out how do we get past this so then we can keep promoting good sleep, but not using another crutch. Exactly. I think I walk through that in the four month what to expect video in the sleep society because around four months is when I start to see yes. people do sleep train. We get out of the swaddle um, and then baby starts to do that. Like the second week of sleep training, I usually always see to your point of they are getting better sleep. So they're going to grow and they start to learn new skills. So yeah. But I did not know, um, that's really good to know, I can start to um, see that now, where baby pulls up their feet, that that's like a sign. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's really good. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. um, it's a beautiful, it's a happy baby pose for, for that reason. I mean, it's a, um, it's a really cool thing. I love to see babies do that because then, then things are connecting. Like they see that they can affect their body. Their reaching is purposeful. They're getting good core work. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. Plus that baby's ready to go. Like yeah. it's time to move. Yeah. Really cool. And we want our babies moving. We want them to be independent. We want them to know how their body moves. We don't need to restrict them. Yeah. Um, anymore. I was just about to ask another question that was going to segue into some of the Instagram questions I got, but I think there was, um, before we started this interview, we were talking about swaddles and there was um, something you said about kind of like that torture, um, where people think that swaddles are torture. Uh, yeah. And I would love for you, and they say, well, I would hate to be like that. So doesn't your baby hate to be like that? Could you share with that? what you told me before we started doing this again, when someone says, you know, Oh, I would hate to be wrapped up like that. That's probably why your baby's not sleeping. Mm -hmm. My answer to that, cause I do hear that a lot. So I've treated about 5,000 babies with baby begin. So it's very rare that I meet a baby that doesn't love a swaddle. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I have a lot of families that we go into the home and they're like, Oh, my baby hates a swaddle. Okay. Well, let me try it just for fun. Let's just try it. And the baby's asleep. So swaddling is very necessary for a baby because a baby's neurological system is very different than an adult's neurological system. So the baby has been in utero for 10 months. They have been very cramped. They've had a lot of deep pressure on their entire body. So when they come out, they need deep pressure to calm themselves. They, you know, they need that. So when we as adults, Yes, that would be a little disturbing to be in a kind of a straight suit is what, what I have a lot of parents saying, but we're, we're comparing apples to oranges. They're, we're so different neurologically that you really can't. And your baby is going to tell you if they like it or not. If they don't like it, you don't have to use it. But if they do like it, and they probably will, everybody's going to be a lot happier. So what makes your swaddle so unique when you go in there? Like, what's the difference? I, don't, I think... Some people do it too loose. 
So if a, if a swaddle is too loose, the baby spends the whole time trying to rip, 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 move their body, move their arms and get their arms out. But if it's a deep pressure swaddle, I, I do it pretty tight. If it's a deep pressure, then um, it calms them. It immediately has a calming effect. And I think, and I think you probably see this, when the parent is confident in something, the baby senses that and the baby will then respond to that. So I am not emotionally connected to the baby. So I am thinking to myself and my energy is, this is good for you. You're going to like this. You're going to sleep really well in this. And I wrap them up and, and they do. But then when you have the parent that's like, I'm sorry, you're going to hate this. I know you don't like this. You know, then the baby says, okay, well, yeah, I guess I shouldn't like it. So I always talk to my new moms about your energy, your baby you are connected on much bigger level than you even realize. You have to be saying, if you have to say it out loud, you say it out loud. Okay, Sarah, it's time to go to bed. We're going to put your swaddle on. This is going to feel so good. You're going to sleep so well. And, and the baby does great. That's why mom voice is so good for your kid. Cause you're just yeah. so sweet. And you're so that's, oh my gosh, that's so good. I'm going to write that down in these show notes for moms to like take a screenshot. Like, you're going to like this. You're going to sleep so good. You're going to like this, you know? And, and even if you're just saying that to convince yourself, it's fine. But yes, that, yes. Yeah, and that's, that plays into literally every single sleep program that we have. There is always, especially toddlers and preschoolers, there's always so much positive talk. Even when you don't believe it, just say it. You're doing yes. a good job. You're doing, yes, this is yes, hard, yes. but you're doing a good job. So proud of you, you know? Yes. yes. And I always say like, what are you going to do when your baby doesn't like to brush their teeth? And your toddler doesn't like you, this is good for you. We've got to brush our teeth. We've got to take care of our teeth. Same with sleep. We've got to get good sleep. This is going to be so good for you. You're going to be so relaxed, you know? So like you said, if you don't believe it, just keep saying it. And once your baby sleeps for hours at a time, you'll believe it. Exactly. I love it. Well, I want to transition to some questions from Instagram. Okay. Um, and, um, and I also will share before I even get into these, y'all were so gracious on Instagram. You poured out so many good questions. I only can get through a few of them with Jennifer right now. And then there were actually many of you who said baby begin changed my life. We're so grateful for baby begin. So just excited for everything that you guys are offering for even Instagram followers, not even people in Dallas or Florida, but just yeah. all the information. So some, uh, a mom wants to know, um, tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to walkers. So I think like we talked about before, you've got a lot of questions about gadgets and devices. So I'll, I'll probably, rather than go through each device, I'll probably just give you my global opinion. I'm a pretty minimalist when it comes to gadgets and devices. I really firmly believe in allowing babies to develop normally. So if you're having to put your baby in something to have them maintain a position that they can't maintain on their own, it's probably too soon. So walkers, if you're putting your baby in a walker, like years ago, they were taken off the market. So I'm really surprised that they're back on the market. I have not met a therapist, a PT or an OT that likes a walker or that feels like it promotes normal walking pattern or it makes the baby walk earlier or I just don't see the need for them. So same with sit me up things. Um, boppy, uh, boppy pillows are okay because your baby is still working on core strength. Those reflexes can kick in. 
Um, so boppies are okay to sip, but not like bumbo seats. Same thing. I have people putting three month olds in a bumbo seat. They're three months old. They need to be on the floor. Your baby is naturally inclined to move and explore and figure things out. We just have to give them the opportunity to do that. So if any mom asks me, what do you think about the da da da? It doesn't really matter what it is. I'm like, no, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Yep. Um, because if you allow that baby to be on the floor, they're going to figure it out. They will figure it out. And if they don't figure it out on the floor on their own, then you get a physical or an occupational therapist involved so they can help you and help the baby figure it out. But for the most part, for our normally functioning babies, they can do it all on their own. You do not need any devices. That covered probably like 50% of the questions. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about walkers. Are extra saucers okay? What about a bumbo? What about this? What about that? Right. I knew you were going to say that. So I'm happy that, and that's my favorite quote from the last time we had you on the podcast where you talked about like, this is a wonderful world. Let's yeah. be on the floor. <laughs> you know, I mean, you yeah. don't. And that's my beef about the doc tot is that that's like, oh, we can put the baby on the doc tot on the floor. Why? Yeah. Why? I just don't understand. So I get that. Yeah, but just put them on the floor. Exactly. So um, not even um, gadget related, speaking what you're saying, like, let's just get them on the floor. Um, a mom who actually has twins, twin A is walking or standing, you know, calling, mastering, all that stuff. Twin B has no desire at all to move. No desires, but will stand up and hold themselves on a couch. Should an 11 month old mom be concerned? I know she's got two things. She's got twin A is very different from twin B. So an 11 month old who doesn't have a desire to move, but will stand up and hold themselves on a couch. So Mike, I have a lot of questions for that. So is the baby crawling? If the baby's not crawling, we need to work on crawling. Is the baby able to pull themselves up to stand or are we propping the baby up to stand? If we're propping the baby up to stand, that's probably a big red flag. If the baby is pulling themselves up to stand, I would say you're good, you're golden. I mean, just put the toys a little further away so they cruise over to get the toy. But if you're propping the baby up and they're not standing, they're not getting in and out of sitting, then I think that's time for a therapist to get involved. Yeah. And especially if you have that other twin that's on track developmentally, you probably want to help that other one get on track. Mm -hmm. I agree. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say one of the biggest skills that I'm seeing that's lacking with babies right now is transitioning in and out of sitting. So I just want to speak to that just a little bit because it's kind of my um, little soapbox is because babies are putting being put in things in sitting things, extra saucers, bumbo seats, floor sit me ups, all of these gadgets that sit babies, our babies are not learning how to get into sitting by themselves. So we have a baby that sits beautifully on the floor, but that's all he can do. He can't go and get that toy that's two feet away. He can't go from his tummy to his back to his to sitting because we've only just propped them in sitting. So, and it's a huge transitional skill that babies need to learn that they're not learning. So then when we go to the next skill of crawling, they can't do it because all they know is, is to sit. So, but, but transitioning into sitting takes a little bit longer. It's pretty tough work. So you, but you've got to give your baby enough time to do that and to figure it out on their own. So with that 11 month old, I'm just wondering if maybe he's not able to get in and out of sitting by himself or able to crawl over to the couch to pull himself up. So you've got to go back all those ways 
this five or six month old and figure out where in his development that we need to work on. So that's a, I like that. That's the root cause. You know, it's not just like, right. oh, we can't do this. Well, what about let's go all the way back to the beginning? That's right, right, right. Because I bet there's some gaps in his development that probably need to be addressed. Yeah. And it's okay. If, sometimes it takes one or two, three visits and your therapist can show you some really cool stuff to do. Therapists are very good at pinpointing what the baby is lacking and how to work on that. Yeah. So it's yeah. okay to get a couple consults with some therapists just to get some help. Yeah. And then when you do that, don't be afraid to ask for the one who has the most experience with it. Right. Right. All right. The, the last question, I'm actually super curious because I'm struggling with this with, I've actually struggled with both of my girls with this, speaking of sitting, is the W sitting. Okay. When, uh, let me read this question actually. At what age do you start correcting the W position? And then <clears throat> attack on like, tell me what's wrong with the W position. <laughs> So when a baby starts crawling, you'll see a lot of W sitting because they crawl, they sit back, play with the toy, they crawl a little bit more, sit back, play with the toy, you know, so you'll see some W sitting there. It becomes concerning when that's the only way that they can sit and that's how they hold themselves up. So a lot of time it's decreased core strength that causes W sitting or tightness in, in the hip bones. So if it becomes like if you switch them out of w sitting and put them into long sitting with their legs straight out or opened hips if they had trouble with that it's probably time to just see a therapist because they're tight somewhere so they're compensating for something so whenever you see a baby or a child doing something that's not quite what we typically see toe walking is another example there's a reason why they're doing these things they're compensating for something so kinesio kids is a really good account to follow she does a lot of um, specific here's w sitting here's some stretches to work on that here's some ways to um, negate that so i would follow her i like her material a lot Mm -hmm. um, she talks a lot about w sitting Again, they're doing it to compensate for something, and we need to get to the root cause of what they're compensating for, address that, and then it becomes a non-issue. That's awesome. Okay. My three and five-year-old will sit in that position. I'm like, oh, it looks like it hurts so bad. Like, Yeah. It's not great for the hips. Yeah. And the knees. Constantly like crisscross, crisscross, crisscross. Yeah. Yeah. A verbal cue is good, but you might just want to see like those stretches and, and stretch them out and see if they're a little tight. That's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. I mean, they, they love to do little yoga videos. With me, so I yeah. More focused on that with them. That'd be fun. Um, well, I, this was so great. The other, you know, most of the questions that we got were all about, what about this gadget? What about this? Is this going to be okay? And I, I know just from um, experience following you and, and, and talking with you that we don't need those things. And I'm on the same line. Like, I don't know why we need to spend all the money on those things. I never bought them with my girls just because I didn't want all the stuff. Um, but also I just, you know, why? And if I feel like if anybody's listening, thinking, well, I need to have something to put my kid in so I can do X, Y, and Z. I feel like that's why they have pack and plays. That's why you can, you know, have the floor or things like that. So what is your ad final advice for a mom who says something like that? Like, I got to have my kid in this because I need to go do X, Y, Z. Well, I, I, some people like block off a little area in their living room with like those baby gates, we call it baby jail. Uh, like you could block off a space there. If you need to use a container, we call them a container or a gadget, the key is moderation. So I would do 10, 15 minutes while you're finishing dinner 
you know, we don't want to take everything away from new parents. Like they do need some things, but I would, I would have maybe one or two things at 10 minutes to pop. I don't, I don't want to say which ones. <laughs> no, I completely understand. <laughs> you can follow baby begin to learn more. Um. <laughs> I, I don't really promote uh, many containers at all, but I really, if a parent says I really use it 15 minutes a day, so I can take a shower because I have a dog and I don't want to put the baby on the floor because the dog, what, you know, whatever, that's fine. But I also have some parents that move from gadget to gadget to gadget to gadget. So they use each one 15 minutes, but by the time we add everything up and then the stroller car seat, they go for an hour walk. When you add all of that up, it becomes a huge chunk of the day. Mm -hmm. and, and then the baby has missed all that opportunity for movement. I saw your post the other day about the mom who lined up all of her. Uh -huh. That made me laugh. <laughs> that's sweet. She felt so guilty. I'm like, girl, that's everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, and I think that's such a good kind of summation of why I had you on this podcast because everybody is, you know, wondering yes. about all these things. You're not alone. And there's no, you know, it, it's not like we're here to confess our sins of gadgets and <laughs> let them sleep. We're, I mean, we all need help. And so I'm, I'm grateful for all the help that you offer on Instagram and, of course, in person. Um, Dallas is actually Dallas slash Fort Worth is like the fourth um, highest podcast listen city on our really? podcast. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So we've got a lot of families there. And if anybody else- well, Everything's bigger in Texas. You yeah, know that. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the list goes like Richmond, which is where I am, um, Washington, D.C., New York City, and then Dallas, Fort Worth. So. Okay. All right. We're up there. Yeah. Yes, you are. Um, so <laughs> tell us, how can we get in touch with you, um, follow you, um, talk with you, all those things? So our main, um, we have a Facebook, Instagram, and website. It's all baby begin. And, you know, we're posting tons of stuff all the time, but we're always open to, you know, suggestions. If someone has questions, please feel free to reach out. We do um, Skype consultations. So if your baby has a flathead and you need some help with that and you're not in the Dallas or Florida or Dallas, Texas or Florida, um, let us know and we can try to help you uh, via Skype. Oh, good. Somebody was asking about how to check head shape on one of the cues and I was like oh yeah. yes I bet they yeah. do that so that's good Skype consult that's awesome yeah um, well thank you so much for being here I really appreciate it you're welcome it's good talking with you Jennifer thank you for joining me today and you guys I know you have gleaned so many great insights if you are listening to this and you were jotting things down in your notes or your phone or a notepad or something I want to know what you were most struck by what were your biggest light bulb moments would you tag me on instagram at little z sleep and would you tag baby begin because i know jennifer would love to see it she is so passionate about educating families thank you to halo sleep for sponsoring this podcast sweet dreams see you next time